you are a servant leader. Your job is to remove barriers and clear a path so that your team can run. And you need to be the best coach that you can be for the, the Michael Jordans and the Kevin Durant's and all these great athletes that you have in your team so they can go wow you. Like you need to uh, uh, put them first so that you can scale, so that they can do what you can do and you can lift your head up and start to think about strategy and where are we gonna be in the next three, five, 10 years. And so servant leadership to me uh, means that you are, in, you are serving uh, those folks in your team so that they can do their job to the best of their ability. Hey, this is Cal Walters with the Intentional Leader Podcast. I first want to thank you for joining us here today. Our mission is to help you intentionally lead yourself, inspire others, and make the world a better place. I hope you enjoy this message. Let's go make it count. Hey everyone, I'm Cal and welcome to episode 73 of the Intentional Leader Podcast. Our goal on this show is to help you become the type of leader that inspires others to be their best. And no matter where you are in your leadership journey, whether you're just getting started, whether you don't even think of yourself as a leader or whether you're a seasoned executive, we want to help you get to the next level. And we do that by bringing on amazing guests with leadership experiences and insights that you can go and apply right away. In today's episode, I'm really pumped about today we have Taylor Justice, the co-founder and president of Unite Us on the podcast. Taylor and another military veteran, Dan Brillman, founded Unite Us back in 2013 to try to standardize how health and social care providers communicate and track outcomes together. They align all stakeholders from healthcare, government, and the community around a shared goal to improve health. And the company is now valued at over $1.6 billion dollars. On this episode, we talk about his journey as an entrepreneur, what it takes to be a successful entrepreneur, the struggles, the importance of finding the right co-founder, mistakes he made, and much more. This is really cool because we haven't really dove into leadership as an entrepreneur on this show, so I'm pumped to get into this on today's episode. And hey, if you're new to this show, I want to introduce us and what we do. We release a new episode every two weeks, and our hope is that you'll walk away with practical leadership lessons from each session. If you want to make sure that you get all the episodes every two weeks, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And I want to give a special thank you to all of you that continue to help us grow and help us reach new people and more people. Thank you to those that are sharing this on social media. Thank you to all of you who have taken a few minutes to rate and review this on Apple Podcasts. I want to give a big shout out to Brian Lamar and Jake Wright, who recently left reviews on Apple Podcasts. Thank you both for the kind words, the encouragement, and for taking a few minutes to do that. I really appreciate that. I want to also let you know that on Tuesday, September 28th at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time, so that's Tuesday, September 28th at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time, we're going to be doing our first live podcast interview with Major General Retired Dana Pittard. General Pittard is an author, a speaker, a triathlete, and he was the former ground commander in Iraq during the fight against ISIS. He's an incredible individual. We're going to be talking about fitness, mental health leadership under pressure, and much more. And we're so pumped to do this first live event. I would love to invite you to come and watch on Facebook or on YouTube. There will be a link in the show notes of this episode if you want to join that podcast on Facebook or on YouTube. It's at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time with General Retired 
Dana Patar. I also want to tell you about our sponsor for today. It's Higher Echelon Incorporated. Higher Echelon is a leadership development and organizational performance consulting firm, providing human capital and technology services to help you optimize performance. Higher Echelon can help you prepare to meet the rapidly changing, complex, and often ambiguous requirements of today's world by developing resilient and adaptive leaders, modernizing and enhancing your processes, and implementing transformational technology solutions. Go visit higherechelon.com today to connect with the amazing team at Higher Echelon and learn more about how they can help you and your team. For show notes of this episode, go visit calwalters.me. You can also check out our YouTube channel to watch interviews and to see other leadership content. And without any further ado, let's dive into today's episode with Taylor Justice. All right, Taylor Justice, welcome to the show, man. Hey, thank you. Uh, appreciate you having me. I'm so pumped to talk to you. There's so many things we're going to talk about today. Uh, certainly, Unite Us is going to be one of those. But tell us a little bit about how the kind of the, the story behind Unite Us and how you eventually got to that idea that eventually became the, the company of Unite Us. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, we went to West Point together, played Army football, uh, coming out of the academy, I was commissioned as an infantry officer in the Army. And unfortunately, I was medically discharged. And through my experience of dealing with the VA, finding a new job, finding a place to live, live the inefficiencies uh, of that transition, but didn't necessarily struggle, could fall back on West Point and, and found, a, I found a job and landed in Philadelphia. And um, coming out of the academy, you have a five-year active duty commitment, three years in active reserve. Uh, I made my three years inactive active through an ADSO program to guarantee I was an infantry guy because I was, uh, wasn't near the top of my class. I was probably closer to the bottom of my class, but wanted to be a part of the, the tip of the spear. And so I was also a Latin American studies major, Portuguese language. My track was I wanted to go seventh group special forces. like. Just, I was in for eight years minimum. Wow. Uh, and so before my two-year mark, I was out. And so I didn't feel I had the, the opportunity to, to serve the way I wanted to. I was looking and trying to find that sense of purpose. Uh, and the first job I took, uh, I learned a lot of skills, but wasn't passionate about the work. And so I was looking for another outlet, got involved with a veteran nonprofit organization called Team Red, White, and Blue founded by Mike Irwin and started the Philly chapter of this national nonprofit. We were all volunteers uh, and it was focused on physical fitness and social activities, basically just helping transitioning service members and their families connect to their new community. And what we realized as the chapter grew were people coming in with needs outside of what we could facilitate, education, employment, housing, legal, finance. Um, and you're trying to help them connect to these different uh, service categories, but the most vulnerable of those families had multiple needs that needed to be addressed at a given time from different organizations. And those organizations didn't know about each other. So I'm trying to track all of this through an Excel sheet and it became an administrative nightmare. Again, it wasn't my full-time job and it wasn't even the core discipline of Team Red, White and Blue. It was like the secondary thing. And you know, we all get in there and wanna help people. So I was initially looking for software to just solve my local problem and it didn't exist. And Unite Us was born to solve that problem of how do I help multiple organizations that might be from different sectors and different industries, providing different services, have the ability to securely exchange data and uh, help a shared individual or a shared family. And so Unite Us 
uh, was born to build that, that, that software infrastructure initially only focused on the veteran and military population. And what we saw was uh, as we continue to expand, the challenges that the veteran and military community face are not unique. They just happen to be this perfect petri dish of American society. When you look at age, race, socioeconomic status, and the majority of organizations that were participating weren't just veteran serving. They service the Medicaid population or Medicare or maternal health or what have you. And the commonality between all these orgs is they all had a veteran military program. All we needed to do now was uh, bring on all the other programs that supported the other folks and the other populations. And so we uh, outfitted the software to be service provider population agnostic uh, and said, okay, let's build this everywhere. And where were you when you initially had the idea? Because I know I, I've seen, uh, I've studied your journey a little bit. I know you spent some time at Higher Echelon, uh, and then I know you were at Columbia Business School as well. But where where were you when you had the first idea of uh, that eventually turned into Unite Us? Yeah. So Higher Echelon, we actually started back in 2009 uh, with Joe Ross and Paul Majano, and I kind of had the idea there because. At that point, um, I would connecting into the VA and, and, and some of these things like, man, it's just not as efficient as it could be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was like out there and I didn't know what it was, but it's like, man, that's a problem. And then Team Red, White and Blue came around and I really saw it like right in my face. Like I was living it and breathing it. And then when I was applying to Columbia Business School in the early part of uh, 2012, I got randomly connected with my now co-founder who was a uh, a student um, at Columbia because they connect veteran military students with veteran military applicants. And we were just randomly connected to talk about the admissions process. And like after the first five minutes of pleasantries of like, what do you do? Um, um, I was like, okay, this is my job, but I'm really interested in this over here. And lo and behold, he was also interested in the same thing as in one of his capstone projects with his operations class of writing about the fragmentation of services. So we ended up staying on the phone for, for five hours. And so there wasn't like one thing. It was just like this um, uh, multiple different events that all just can kind of converge together. And then I found someone that uh, was was also very interested in the same space and had the same feelings of what needed to happen. And since then, we've kind of been tied at the hip. And, you know, because often businesses form around a problem, you identified a problem. How did you, I mean, I imagine you've maybe had other problems that have popped in your head, but you didn't form a business around it. How did you know that this was an idea that you could actually go and create a solution for that could ultimately become a, a highly functioning, successful business? Um, you know, I'd love to look back and be like, I had this master plan and I'd had it all figured out. Sometimes you just stumble upon things. And sometimes it takes another person to say, maybe this is something you should like, just go all in on. Uh, and that was, was that, that, for, was that, that him? Was that was your co-founder that did that? Uh, for you? That was, that was actually Joe Ross. Oh, so like come back a couple years where 2012, um, three years into higher echelon, I'm still like higher echelon. We decided as a, as a founding team, we weren't going to go uh, um, full time into the organization until we could afford it. Mm-hmm. But we were all still doing that part time, like after hours. I was team red, white and blue. I was uh, now accepted to Columbia Business School and I had my full time job 
And oh, there's this new one to unite us. Right? All the stuff on my plate. You just weren't sleeping, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it was just like, you know, you, you put your time and your energy into the things that you want to do. And that, and that was it. Um, yeah. And I always knew I wanted to be an, uh, an entrepreneur, obviously, with, high, uh, with higher echelon and some other things. Um, but it was a couple years after we officially started um, Unite Us. Uh, because in, at the end of uh, 2012, Dan came back from a deployment to Afghanistan. And um, at that point, we kind of had to make a decision on were we going to go all in on this? And, you know, at the end of December, we said we both quit our jobs and we went all in on, on Unite Us. Um, but at that point, I was still doing higher echelon. I was still at Columbia and I was on in the process of transitioning Tim Red, White and Blue to another classmate from West Point. Uh, so I still had a number of things on my plate and, you know, fast forward, we started the business officially in um, January of 2013 in the summer of 2014, uh, Joe Ross kind of pulled me aside. He's like, listen, he goes, I understand you're, uh, you're in it with uh, what we called HE um, uh, you're, you're doing um, X, Y, and Z. I was more of like a sales guy for the organization. He goes, but when you talk about unite us, it's different. Hmm. Like you're just so passionate about it. And it's like really what you want to be doing. Cause that's kind of where you always take the conversations. And uh, he's like, I think you should do that full time and like go in. And ultimately he was right. And so I, I separated uh, from higher echelon in like July timeframe of that year uh, where, you know, sold my piece of the business back to the organization uh, completely um, uh, removed myself as a as a partner in that organization and was just like full stop uh, unite us. I think that's really cool that he gave you permission, not just gave you permission, but he encouraged you to go pursue this thing that he saw you were passionate about, even though that meant you were going to be devoting your resources and energy elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, I think it goes. I mean, like the intentional leader, man, like that's, that's what it's about. And Joe Ross is like the epitome of that. Mm-hmm. But Joe Ross also followed his passion. When he got medically discharged from the military, he went into a corporate world. He was doing really well, but he was passionate about army football. And so he followed his passion and went and coached uh, at the academy for a while. Uh, and then realized that his passion was developing leaders and uh, developing organizations. And that's when he kind of made the transition into, into higher echelon full time. So he'd kind of gone through his own journey to get to where he felt like, uh, this is what I should be doing and this is where I should be. And when you see that in someone else and they might not see it, you know, to, to, to say to your partner uh, that has spent five years building this business and, and understanding that maybe my interests lie somewhere else. As a leader, that's your job. Yeah. Your job is to take care of people, sometimes if it's a detriment to your own organization, hmm. um, because you got to let them grow and you got to let them do things. And Joe Ross is, is just one of those people that just understands individuals in, 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 uh, at such a granular level and has like this emotional intelligence that's just off the charts. Hmm. Uh, that I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm grateful for guys like that. I think that's so cool. And, and listeners will be familiar with Dr. Ross. He's been on the show a couple of times. Um, so Taylor, take us to that. You're, you're at Columbia. You've, you've had this conversation with your founder or the co-founder. 
first of all, I think it's interesting to maybe explore a little bit the personality of the co-founder, uh, because I imagine you guys have a little bit different strengths or different personalities. What what advice would you give folks or, or how do you reflect on that combination of skills between you and your co-founders and how that may have led uh, to founding Unite Us? Yeah, I think Dan and I are the perfect yin and yang, right? We see the world through two different prisms, but we understand how the other thinks. And it took a long time to get there. Like we, we like clashed heads for a really, really long time. Um, because I'm like more on the sales side and, uh, the marketing side and, and customer facing, he's very analytical, very operations focused. You know, he's an air force pilot. Like they, we, they just do things a little bit different, than, you know, a grunt, uh, that's, you know, dragging their knuckles. Um, and I think what we did well was understand how we both complement each other but then also understand roles and responsibilities and have clear lines of who's running what, and then have full trust that they're going to go take down their lane. And I think we define that um, after a while, we probably should have done it earlier, but going through that conflict and navigating that and, and getting to a point where we both saw eye to eye, that's part of the journey and it takes time. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of, a lot of founders um, set the stage in the beginning the wrong way and that that business is dead before it ever starts because they're unwilling to have those difficult conversations uh they're not comfortable being uncomfortable uh and putting it all out there so that everybody's on the same page um and you see it happen initially with like equity and whatnot it starts to build resentment and everyone's starting to think like down the road oh if this is a, a billion dollar company and i only own this percentage of whatever it is like and you own this like, i don't like that and it's just like you're thinking about the wrong things right out of the gate and i think it's all about like just general personality and people management mm-hmm. like the ability to manage conflict and I think Dan and I have done a really, really good job of understanding what both of our strengths are and letting each other run in those in those lanes as quickly as we can. Uh, obviously, we support each other and we still kind of battle on, on certain things, but our battles are never like um, personal digs. Our battles are, pers- are, are on like the business mm-hmm. and where we think the direction of the business is. And those battles all get us to the right decision. And then when you make a decision, you're all in. There's no like, oh, I told you that wasn't going to work out. It's like, nope, we made that together. We're all in. Uh, and if we need to pivot, we'll pivot. But um, that, that, that takes some, some, uh, some time to foster that working relationship of, uh, and also courage to kind of sometimes take a step back and like, hey, maybe I was wrong. And, you know, let's, let's go this direction. You mentioned butting heads. How do you guys think that you survived that? Because I, I think a lot of companies, startups don't survive that. What, what do you think was different about you all? Um, I think we both cared deeply uh, uh, about what we were doing in the mission and saw the potential. And in our world, and even in like the military, it's selfless service. And I think we both just innately had the ability to kind of put down our own views and our own ego for like the greater good of what we were trying to accomplish. So I think there was pieces of that internally, but then we also had a pretty strong supporting uh, uh, network around us, both from investors and other folks that were in the business that you know we could vent to, 
that can then broker conversations and then we come back together and we're just kind of like okay let's let's talk through this you know uh, and those are, and those are in the, like the early early days like i'm talking like 2013 2014 2015 when we were just trying to figure out who we were and what we were trying to accomplish um but it's like leveraging you know those other folks to kind of help us uh you know stop seeing red and, and just think through like tactically does does this really matter matter or is this just personalities and feelings and once you start to realize okay that's just a feeling that's not a fact then you can just start to to really make decisions based on um uh the data rather than you know just gut feel you mentioned how you had kind of the sales side. He's more the, uh, you know, he's thinking about numbers. Did you guys appreciate that early or did it take a while to to realize, okay, this is really where I bring value. This is really where you bring value. I'm just curious if that's something you immediately appreciated or it took some time to to discover that about yourself and about him. On the sales side, you mean? Like, like just, what our just, role? Well, just kind of like, you know, you, you obviously have this early meeting, you start to talk about the concept and then you said, you discover that you, you really have a nice blend. Like you, you bring the sales and some of these other qualities. He brings this other, you know, the yin and the yang. Yeah. Did you, did you appreciate how that symmetry was going to work up front, or did it take some time to, to learn, okay, this is who I am. This is who you are. This is how we work together. Yeah. yeah. I think we both came from different backgrounds and even our, our, our paths out of the military uh, were also different. Like he was in like the finance space uh, uh, and worked in a venture capital firm. So he just like naturally leaned towards, you know, the, the finance and the, and the analytical side of the house. So I think that helped if we both came in like from a sales perspective, I don't know if it would have worked, honestly. Uh, because we're both very strong personalities and very stubborn as well. And especially if you have someone that's in the same uh, discipline as you, you're not going to necessarily learn there because one's probably going to think they're better than the other at what they're doing. Um, and I think that's one going back to the original question here is like founders find somebody that has a skill set that you don't have. Like finding a rep, like a, a, another Taylor Justice in the early days probably would have been a death sentence mm -hmm. to us because that's not what we needed. We needed that other, those other capabilities to be, uh, to be developed and to be created. And that's not necessarily my skill set. Not that I couldn't do it, but I couldn't do it as easily as what Dan could have done and vice versa on, on the sales side. It's just natural for me. Like he always talks about, he doesn't like sales situations where he always talks about where, uh, if there's a sale on the other side of a door, Dan will like contemplate like, should I knock or should I not knock? And then like, he goes, Taylor will just come in and like kick the door down and like walk through. It's like, that's a different personality of how uh -huh. you, how you attack certain things. And, um, I don't know. It just, it, it just worked. I think a lot of, a lot of entrepreneurship and even with unite us, there's a lot of luck involved. Mm -hmm. And I was lucky that I got randomly connected to this guy that was also very passionate about what I'm doing. Right. <laughs> that is he was the same way. Uh, you get lucky about the, the way that the market shapes out the product that we built right out of the gate, which was the wrong one. And we pivot, pivot, uh, we pivoted the business quickly. But that ultimately leads to where we're at today. And then uh, the market got there and they realized that this is super important. And so there's there's a lot of, of, of luck involved, but there's a lot of hard work that when that opportunity arises, are you are you in a position to execute? 
and we have been fortunate enough that we thought about this uh, solution with uh, intent and, and really getting into the weeds and kind of backwards planning of what's actually needed so that as those moments have arise, we've been able to, uh, to step up and, and execute. Do you think people underestimate how long it takes to build something like this? Because entrepreneurship is, yeah. it's, it's, it's in vogue, it's, it's trendy. Uh, but I'm just curious from your perspective as someone who's really built something special, yeah. do, do you think people underestimate how long it really takes to do something like that? 100%. 100%. Like, I mean, you, you mentioned it. Entrepreneurship and starting a company is in vogue. Uh, and you see all the Hollywood things of like, oh, if I create uh, this piece of technology, it's going to hit the market. Everyone's going to love it. And I'm going to be the next big thing. Like that happens for a very, 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 very small subset of organizations. Unitas is almost a decade in, hmm. a decade. And we've really hit our stride in the past 18 to 24 months. So there were six years <laughs> before that where, you're grinding. Mm -hmm. And like even the first four years of Unite Us, you know, I was living in Philadelphia still. I'm taking a bolt bus from like the Cherry Hill Mall in South Jersey into New York City, gets me here around 7.20 a.m. I then go to the office and then I'm couch surfing for the next three or four days for four years. And at this point, like you come out of the military, you're doing these things. Like we started this when I was in 28, 29. And four years in, you're 32, 33, and you're still couch surfing and you're not making a lot of money, but you're really into this thing. Like that's a grind. Mm. And I don't, I don't think people appreciate the work that goes in, how long it takes to find product market fit. And even when you find product market fit, how long it takes to actually get a customer to sign a deal, especially in our space. And so the advice that I always give entrepreneurs when they're thinking about raising money I was like, one, I was like, go through all of your analysis and really identify how much you think you need. And then when you do that, double it at a minimum. And then however, however long you think it's going to take you to get that funding, double that. And then you start to get like the reality starts to set in. It's like, oh man, do I really want to do this? Uh, and you know, if, depending on where you are in your life, if you have a family and, uh, taking that, that risk is, could be significant. And so this isn't a trivial process. Uh, it's like, it's real world stakes. And I was just fortunate enough to, um, to, to also have a wife that was an entrepreneur. So we were just kind of in that mindset and in that game. Um, but it takes a long, long time, but if you want to build something special, you got to commit to it. And so if you're going to go start a, an entrepreneurial venture, you should just be in, in, in the mindset that at a minimum, it's going to take me 10 years to, to get to a point where I uh, feel the, the potential of this organization can get to. Not that that's when you need to exit, but that's how long it's going to take. Mm -hmm. And are, can you commit to that 10-year time horizon? I don't know if a lot of people break it down that way, but that's, that's, what you, that's how you need to think about it. Because most businesses fail within their first two or three years. Um, if you make that commitment, you'll start to think through and understand that, okay, this isn't going to be an overnight success. If that happens for you, awesome. The probability is that it won't. Do you think there's a certain type of personality you have to have to be an entrepreneur, to be a successful entrepreneur? Or do you think there's kind of a wide range of folks that can be successful? Um, 
I think that there's always a way. So in entrepreneurship, my view is uh, there's never a right answer to any question. Mm-hmm. There's always a yes. Like, doesn't matter who you are, what background you come from, um, you know, what what situation you might have faced in the past. There was always an answer to get to where you want to go. And there's always someone that will defy the odds and make it happen. Uh, and I was actually with, um, I don't know if you know, Sam Ellis, um, um, he was the original, uh, CTO of, uh, of, um, uh, Dutchie and, um, he's a 2012 grad and we were just having dinner last night, kind of talking about this where, um, we're talking about advice that we give to entrepreneurs and we both had different advice, hmm. but both of us were right, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And like the entrepreneur needs to be able to process a lot of information and then understand the balance of how to make a decision. Um, and so I think there are characteristics that help. Like obviously being an optimist is super important because it is an emotional roller coaster and you have to be able to deal with the highest of highs and really be able to deal with the lowest of lows. Um, and then you have to really understand your business and where you're trying to go and where we were kind of debating back and forth was like, how do you take advice, uh, from advisors or others that are around you? And like, even when you're talking to a VC, VCs are, are smart. They understand finance, but they don't necessarily understand the day-to-day or ins and outs of your business. And they can give you advice because, oh, I've seen like companies before that have done X, Y, and Z, and this is what they did. So you should probably do that too. That is a data input. That is not a decision point. Mm-hmm. So you need to be able to say, okay, understand that context and what that business was trying to do. Our business is a little bit different. So I'm going to wait at this amount and I'm going to take that advice, you know, not a hundred percent, but I'll take it 35% because then I also have this other data point in this, an entrepreneur has to be able to take all of that advice and know when to say yes. And when to say no, the entrepreneur is the only one that can make the decision though. An advisor can't make that decision for you. And you have to be able to, to weigh that and manage that conflict. Um, or you're, you're going to be, you're going to be in the hurt box. And there's a lot of other, like, characteristics that are super important, right? And persistence, uh, being humble, knowing how to execute, knowing how to sell, like all of those things, like nothing happens at Unite Us. Nothing happens at Unite Us until a sale is made. Just a fact, right? We got to have revenue to be able to support our growth, to do all these different things. Now we you know, raised a big Series C and we have uh, access to capital. But at the end of the day, we're building a sustainable business that is growing uh, and we've got to generate revenue. Um, and a lot of people, when I see their pitches for the first time, they talk about the market, they talk about the potential, they talk about how they're going to you know, uh, do X, Y, and Z. Not many sales plans. You know, not many, like, here's how I'm going to go execute on this. Mm-hmm. It's super, super important to the success uh, of, of uh, any entrepreneur. So you're either that salesperson or you're not, but everybody should know how to sell. Mm-hmm. You mentioned some of the lowest of lows. What, what were some of the biggest mistakes or lessons learned during the, that growth period? Um, there's a number of things. Um, in the early days, there was an organization that I was very, very close with. Uh, 
And, you know, we were building solutions for the veteran military space, and we were going to be the backend infrastructure uh, for this org. And like an idiot, I didn't get a contract because I had a really strong relationship. Like, you know, we were really close. I trained all of their different organizations globally on how to use this tool. Like, you know, and there's people in like Japan and others. So I'm up at these weird hours training people on the United system. And as we were doing all of that, we were going through the contracting piece and I just wasn't like in tune to, um, that maybe they weren't a hundred percent bought in at the executive level. And then a new person came into the organization that was really thinking about their IT. We're like a couple days from launch and I get a call. It's like, yeah, it's not going to work out. Oh man. And we had invested like 150, 200 K into building out this thing for this organization, no contract. Oh man. So they could just walk away. And to me, it's just like relationships matter and they're super, super important. Um, trust but verify mm-hmm. so got to get that contract that's one piece that's one like just massive then that was in the early days when we didn't have a ton of capital um and we were able to and the benefit to us is like we built solutions that weren't just for, like we would never build a custom solution so it wasn't all for not like we we had tech and now we could take it to some of these other to these other markets but that one that one hurt um both emotionally and like my ego uh, but also it's just like like I, I can't believe I did that. And then there's like, you always have like hiring mistakes. Um, and you know, you go through different phases of growth, uh, as a company and where you might be today and where you want to get, uh, tomorrow might not be the same people in the same roles. And I think Dan and I have, have gotten a lot better over the years that when you know, you know, Mm-hmm. You know, if someone's not going to work out, you know, and we, for a while had like tried to like groom and like try to get folks there. Um, but, uh, the best, adv- one of the pieces of advice that I got from Anthony Noto, uh, who's, uh, my mentor and, you know, we talk every month and one of the things, uh, around hiring decisions, he's just like, Taylor, when you know, you know, mm-hmm. it's just like pull the court because mm-hmm. it sucks. It's hard. Um, people are going to give you advice on what to do and what not to do when, you know, you know, and just make the decision. And it's the right advice because, um, having an individual in a seat, if they're not performing or it creates team dynamics and, and all of that, your job as a leader is to make sure that the ship is going in the right direction at the right speed. And you're hitting your, you're hitting your marks and all the trains are on time. Uh, and if there's anything in, in, in your organization, that's going to derail that process, people, whatever, um, then you've got to go fix it. Like that is your job. Your job is to put out fires all day. And, um, you know, you got, you got to have the courage to kind of step up and make some of those hard decisions, um, regardless of what optics are and whatnot. Cause at the end of the day, none of that stuff matters. Is the organization going to be successful or not? Yeah, that's hard. Are there any commonalities of people who don't fit? Like, are there any certain characteristics or qualities or personality traits that, that just you've found for whatever reason are, are common among people that you end up saying, this is not going to be a good fit? Yeah, I mean, I th- we're, we're really um, focused on our core values here, right? 
and I think this is something you take from the military in, um, and even, you know, our time at West Point is you have these core principles that you live by. And, you know, we all know the honor code at West Point. Cadet will not lie, cheat, steal, or tolerate those that do. That's that's ingrained in our heads. But you can also do have those same principles uh, that guide the ship, uh, unite us. And so, you know, our four core principles are be a good human. That's first and foremost. Like, is this person just a good dude or, 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 or a lady or just a person? good human mm-hmm. um the second is own it like regardless if it's good bad or whatever whatever you do you own it it is on you either as the leader or the the owner of that project um good bad and ugly the next is always be collaborating no one can do it on their own i always tell i always tell our sales team is uh you can win a deal on your own all day long and we are going to celebrate you you will never lose a deal on your own. And so you've got to bring, bring in the team. You've got to, you've got to make sure that we're thinking about this uh, collectively. And the underlying thing of that is don't go alone ever. And so even at Unite Us, like we can't do it alone across our different departments. And in the community, in, in, in our work, we're also dependent on others coming to the table and doing that. So we have to be, we just have to have that mindset of like, it's not that we're the best thing since sliced bread because we're the best thing for this piece of the puzzle. And we are certainly just a piece of that puzzle. And then finally, just think that we want to continue to push and we want to continue to um, uh, uh, create solutions that bring the human and social service sector, which we call social care, to the same priority level as healthcare and give them 21st century technology to do that. So going back to your question, those principles are part of our hiring process. They're a part of our giving praise to other uh, um, members of the team. And so when we start to do our scoring, do these individuals meet these core principles? Yes or no. And so that's part of like the filtering mechanism. And then you take folks through an extended um, test where it's not just interview. And we take people through the ringer here uh, because hiring is so important and finding the right fit is so important. And even though we have a very robust interview process and whatnot, we still don't always get it right. Um, but everything's tied back to the core principles of, of the organization. Um, and then, so we don't just use the interview as the only um, uh, mechanism. Uh, we also like on the sales side of the house, like you have to, at the end of it, uh, you have to pitch us, unite us in a role play scenario. And so you're pitching uh, employees of unite us on unite us. And you don't know anything about unite us. You have to do your own research. And then we're going to ask you questions that there's no like reason you should ever know how to answer them. Uh, and it goes back to kind of like the West point thing. We're going to put more on your plate to see how you handle it. And like, can you actually sell and work your way through this really uncomfortable situation? Uh, and that process is, has shown us people that we were so bullish on. And yes, they're going to make it. And they get in that scenario. It's like, oh man, nope, didn't work out. And we do the same thing on engineering. We have tests that, you know, they have to uh, show their code and their thought process and how they went through things. And so I think filtering, finding who you are as an organization, finding the people that you want. Uh, on your teams and what those skills are super, super important, but don't just have people hire from the department that they're going to sit in. You need to have kind of like that benchmarking person that's from another group Mm -hmm. that will kind of level set. Yep. This person fits the culture of the organization as well. And they're kind of like the bar setter outside of like 
can they sell? Can they code? Can they do these other things? But are they a fit here? Uh, and that's super important to us. You meant to mention those values and I love those. When did you guys come up with those four? Was that really early or is that something you came up with later on? So we had had principles in the early days. Uh, and so when we first started Unite Us, we were in the basement of like a shared office space in Tribeca. Um, so there's like literally Dan and I first shared a desk like for our first like year or so because um, we didn't want to pay for two. And, and then as we started to grow, like we had principles and our values that we'd literally just tape on a wall. But there were like seven or eight of them and you couldn't remember what they were. And so a handful of years ago, um, probably four and a half now, we said, let's make it super simple and let's put it everywhere. And um, we came up with those as a team, like what's super important to us? How do we define these? What do they mean? Everybody bought into it. Uh, and we came up with those four uh, and have kind of just stuck to them and they've, they've served us well. I really love those. And, and I'm always interested in how companies create their values. And I do think it's important to not have too many. Um, yeah. And the, those, the, the way you describe those seem to also in, in just make you think of something you could do. It wasn't just something you are. It was like, hey, these are the things we do, which I love. Um, I want to ask you, so... So I was just, as I was doing my research, it looks like back in 2020, Unite Us expanded into 42 states, including 16 new statewide networks. Uh, you're driving cross-sector coordination and improved health and community-based settings. And then in March of 2021, you announced that you had raised $150 million in Series C financing. And I, I believe, and it's probably maybe changed or updated, but you're, you're valued at over $1.6 which is just crazy. Those numbers just don't make sense to me. Um, I'm, I'm curious, <laughs> I'm curious, like take us back though. Cause what I really would like to explore is how you pitch to investors and, and maybe some takeaways for that, but like, take us back to the early days. What, what was it like pitching early and how were you able to get people to buy into what you're doing? Yeah. So the early days, um, I think I, I kind of insinuated, but the first product that we built was the wrong one. And that's what we went and pitched. And that's what we went and raised money off of. And to be honest, we raised $2 million off of like 12 pieces of paper, like our pitch. And at that point we were, um, you know, veterans that are trying to help other veterans and their families. And obviously we were super passionate about what we do. And uh, at the end of last year, I think it was, um, you know, we've grown significantly. We're over 600 people. Uh, so Dan and I went back to that original pitch deck and showed the company oh, uh, nice. what what we had put together. And it's just like, you look at it and you're just like, oh, gosh, it's <laughs> so bad. Um, um, but a, a big piece of it was um, we told everybody and anybody that would listen. And so you see a lot of early entrepreneurs. It's like, oh, can I can you sign an NDA? My idea, like, I don't want people to to know what it is. Um, or they're like fearful of telling people because someone else is going to steal it. And I always tell folks, it's like, if your idea is so good that if you tell somebody else and they can take it and build a company better than you can, you should never start that company, hmm. like ever. <laughs> but if you tell everybody what you're up to, it's going to do a couple of things for you. One, it's going to help you hone your pitch. 
because your first pitch is not going to be great. And you got to continue to refine it and like see what, how people respond to it and, and adjust and say, okay, this worked, this didn't work, whatever. Uh, the other thing is as, as you start to tell people, uh, they tell other people and those people tell other people. And one of our biggest investors uh, in the early days heard about Unite Us from like a couple derivatives from us or a couple degrees from us at some cocktail party that we weren't even at. And um, they're like, oh, I'd, I'd love to learn a little bit more about that. So through the grapevine, they're like, hey, this person wants to talk to you. And Dan and I were like, okay, let's go take the meeting. And we walk out of that meeting and they're interested. They ended up being the biggest investor of that first 2 million round. They brought other folks to the table. Um, and so communicating what you're doing, even if it isn't perfect, because it's never, it is never going to be perfect. You're going to put these financial models together. Those models will 100% be wrong and not in reality. It's more of like, how does this person think about the problem? How are they going to go attack the market? Uh, and do they have the ability to go do that? And in our case, are they passionate about it? And do they understand the problem at like a, just a root level? Mm-hmm. And we did. And I think for us, we communicated to them that we're going to go out and solve this. We're going to go figure this out. And so three months in, when we start to roll out, you know, our, our first product where we thought if we understood where every resource was uh, for a veteran, we put that on a pretty map and they could just see where they were in their community, we'd solve the problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I always say the beauty of the veteran and military community is they do not let you blow smoke. Like they told us it sucked because what we were, what we were really doing is we're sending them to a black hole. If I am in need of food or housing or some other emergency basic need, and I go to a platform and I search up that, that resource and I pick up the phone and call and no one answers, or I shoot an email and no one answers. That's a horrible experience. And then what we realize is like, okay, if I pick up the phone and that organization answers and they start asking me some questions and realize that I'm not even eligible for those services because they only serve this type of uh, individual, that's a bad experience. And so what we quickly realized is that we had to not focus on the demand, i.e. the veteran and military individuals first, the best way to serve them was to focus on the supply of services. If I can better coordinate those orgs, identify who's going to raise their hand and respond to a referral in a certain time hack and actually provide the service, that's more value when I plug that veteran and military family into the network. And so our investors were very patient with us as we started to realize, oh, we made a mistake. And then when we flipped the model and said, we're going to purely build enterprise level software across communities and bring everybody to the table, uh, they're like, okay. Yeah, go build that. And then we went and built it. And that network just for veteran and military now is spurred into where we are right now. We're the category leader within social determinants of health. Like prior to 2015, Dan and I didn't even know what social determinants of health were. (laughs) It started to become a buzz term within the healthcare market. Uh, Once someone explained it to us like, oh, we've been doing that for years. And then we started to learn a little bit more and peeling back the onion. And it's like, it's, it's, it's the same problem. It's the same need. Let's just expand it out to everybody. And so now like that, that, that idea and and what we learned in the early days, like I said, is like the national infrastructure, it's going to become the operating system for social care across the country. Um, And we're doing a lot of good and and helping a lot of people. And especially when you go through a global pandemic, uh, the software that we've deployed, like helped a lot of people because 
46% of organizations during the pandemic that provided these human and social services either had to shut their doors or limit their programs. And so if your referral mechanism is a list, you have no idea if they're open, you have no idea if they have capacity, but when you build the supply chain and this care coordination network, it's like, oh, they're open. I'm gonna connect them to these services. They can provide those services. And the demand increased significantly, but the supply cut in half. And so if you don't have that network and be able to pivot, like there's a lot of people like children, their food source was cut off because schools shut out. People lost their job. People fearful of uh, keeping their home or getting evicted because they couldn't pay rent or mortgage anymore. Like, like serious, serious things mm -hmm. that without this infrastructure, you're kind of just like throwing punches in the dark and hoping like you can solve that or giving somebody a resource, sending them on their way and hope they figure it out. Like we don't have to hope anymore. You know, you can prove, did that person connect to the org and did they receive that service? And if they did, great. If they didn't, why? Now let's correct that supply chain problem. Like we now have the ability to, to kind of move the chess pieces for communities and help them operate at the top of their license. We are a support function for states and communities. We are their, we are their weapons uh, to fight against poverty, to fight against uh, housing insecurity, to fight against all these basic needs that a lot of people in our communities are facing. Uh, and we're just trying to get those tools in their hands as quickly as we can. So when you talk about the determinants of health, so if I go on the Unite Us app or software, what what would it what would I see? Is it just I picture seeing all these different types of like holistic health of like hey, if I want to get you know medical treatment, I do this. But if I want to get some mental health treatment, I do this. Or if I want to get some food opportunities, is that is that what it is? Or can can you kind of explain that for folks that maybe don't fully appreciate what you mean when you yeah. say determinant of health? So social determinants of health. Um, is, is simply the factors that allow you to be healthy or have, uh, uh, to have a healthy lifestyle and, and, um, uh, and be able to, to, to live a healthy life. So it's where you live, where you eat, where you pray, where you study, all of those things. And 80% of someone's overall health happens outside of a hospital or a clinical setting happens in the community. Do you have food in your belly, roof over your head? access to an employable wage. And so as the healthcare market has moved from fee-for-service to value-based healthcare, all of these SDOH factors are super important now of how healthcare organizations are reimbursed for their services. So federal policy and state policies are starting to shift saying, okay, we shouldn't just try to solve these clinical issues of diabetes, and hypertension, and, and, and um, cardiovascular diseases by only putting uh, pills into somebody's body or drugs into somebody's body to solve that. Let's make sure that they have healthy food. Let's make sure that they have a place to store that healthy food. Let's make sure that they have access to a job to pay for that food and to pay for that house where they store it. Like all of those things are super important to make sure that we can curb some of these very serious clinical uh, diagnoses or, or diseases. Like all of those factor into that person being able to kind of overcome whatever clinical uh, issue they're facing. And so the market is starting to realize that food and housing and transportation to those appointments are, are critically important to make sure that people aren't coming into a clinical environment when a social need is more appropriate. Because if someone doesn't have access to transportation and you have people that call an ambulance to just get a ride somewhere, 
the cost of that is around fourteen to fifteen thousand dollars. If someone is admitted into an emergency room because they have nowhere else to go because they don't have food, they don't have a place to sleep, that is a significant cost. And so we're overspending on these healthcare uh, uh, treatments when if we could better connect folks to these basic needs, we could eliminate some of that wasted spend and put those dollars to work elsewhere. And that's really where Unitas comes in. It's like we're building that coordinated network. We're extending the traditional clinical care coordinate, uh, coordination network into the community so that now we're all work, working off of the same sheet of music. So our system is, is initially meant just for the service provider. So if I'm a food bank or a housing agency or a hospital, I might have a system of record or I'm logging right into Unitas. And then Cal walks in my door and says, hey, I need assistance with housing. Okay, great. Well, I'm a food pantry. I'm gonna take care of that food need I'm going to send an electronic referral to the housing provider and I can see, oh, they accepted Cal. This organization is going to be reaching out to you to address that, that housing need. And I now don't have to pick up the phone and talk to the housing provider for the hundred other cows that walk through my door. I now get real-time updates of what's happening. And then let's say there's a behavioral health need. Well, Cal's record is in our system, but if there's a behavioral health need or another sensitive service type, that housing provider and that food provider don't need to see that information. Mm -hmm. So we wall that off so that sensitive organizations um, uh, and those sensitive service types are compartmentalized so that we can still have a coordination network across an entire community. We're just giving permissions on who can see what, but everybody's still working off of the same record. It doesn't mean they get to see everything that's inside that record. And so we're just creating an ecosystem now where you walk in my door, you now have access to all these other services in the community that might be outside of the, the core discipline of, of my organization. But now I have the tools to address those as you walk in, which is a benefit to government and is a benefit to health systems because previously they didn't know, oh, I'm gonna take that ride on the ambulance or I'm gonna go into the emergency room. Now the community that's already doing this work they just do it through manual workflows, emails, Google searches, wall full of brochures as a referral mechanism. Now they can do that with 21st century technology in an efficient way and track their web. Um, and ultimately what we see in the market is as we move from fee-for-service fee for to value-based healthcare, now these community-based organizations will be reimbursed for the services that they provide hmm. uh, through a product that we're rolling out called Unitas Payments. So they don't have to be dependent upon philanthropic investment or government dollars anymore that are very restrictive, not a lot of margin. They can't innovate with those. We're creating an additional revenue stream and really reshaping the delivery model of care and health in the country, not health care, but health uh, and bringing, again, those those social care providers to the same priority level as health care. Man, that's so cool. And I, I mean, I as we talked about before we hit record, I really am so excited, not just for the success you've had, but for the incredible mission you have. It's really cool. Uh, and one of the questions I was going to ask, this will probably be my last question before we, uh, before we wrap up is, you know, when you are pitching to investors, any tips or keys you think that really make for a successful pitch? I mean, apart, I imagine just hearing you talk through it, what the the product is ultimately going to probably sell it, but but any other tips that you think really make for a successful pitch when you're trying to get people to invest? This might seem counterintuitive, uh, but vulnerability, mm. right? I think it's it's it shows that this person's trustworthy, that they have an idea, uh, they know what the problem is in the market, 
it. But they understand that the new now may change a week or a month from now. And we're the team that can identify that problem uh, and get around it and continue to, to, to drive forward. And so I think when you get certain questions and you're going to get bombarded with everything from finance to, you know, to, to sales strategy, to a, a number of different things, I think it's okay to say, uh, or okay to, to not have everything figured out, but have a hypothesis, right? And even if there's a question you don't know how to answer, it's okay to just ask like, what do you mean by that? Like, I don't understand what that means. It's okay. It's okay to, 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 to look dumb and it's fine. Uh, but a lot of people don't want to do that. So someone will say some acronym in a meeting. And if you don't know anything about, you know, venture capital finance and they say some acronym and like, you're just trying to answer it, like, uh, without saying, can you tell me what that means? I, it's the first time I've ever heard that. Uh, and then they tell you, and you're like, oh, great. Well, if you don't ask that question, you're going to go to the next venture capitalist. They're going to ask the same thing. And you're still going to look dumb because you weren't afraid to say, like, you weren't, a, you were afraid to ask, like, what does that mean? I don't know what that means. Like, oh, they tell you, okay, oh, got it. That's, I, I know exactly what that is. But it's like being being unafraid of not knowing every answer and getting clarity and saying, you know what, here's my hypothesis on this situation. We know it's going to be an area that we're going to have to, to overcome. Uh, here's how we'll tackle it right now. But this team right here is, is uh, agile uh, and we're going to be able to respond to that objection or to that issue. And this is this is where we think we'll get around it. I love that advice. I think that's just, it's okay to be human. It's okay yeah. to, to ask questions. And I, and I can understand why that would make you more trustworthy. Cause if you don't know, you're going to ask, if you, uh, don't have a hundred percent answer, you're going to give the best answer you can, but it's going to be an honest yeah. answer. That's, that's right. Really and it goes back to what I was saying before. Like, you know, there's a balance. There's going to be some VCs like this guy is an idiot. <laughs> right. But at the end of the day, if that VC will say you're an idiot because you didn't know that acronym, you probably don't want them as an investor. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you're, you're going to learn something. Yeah. Cause you uh, want people that you can trust that you can have these awkward conversations with or get advice. And if you're only giving them part of the information or they're going to judge you for asking questions, like this, this, this is hard enough. Like having to deal with that pressure too. And that stress, oof, we, you're weeding them out just like they're weeding you out. All right, Taylor, well, I think we're up on time. Uh, I'd love for you, just the last minute we have, if you could just tell any any parting advice you have for leaders and then just tell folks where to find out more about Unite Us. Yeah, so for for leaders, um, and I'm, I'm seeing this uh, more and more as we continue to grow, your job is, it's, you know, I think it's cliche now, but, you know, we, we knew this from back in school. Like, you are a servant leader. Your job is to remove barriers and clear a path so that your team can run. Um, and you need to be the best coach that you can be uh, for, for the, the Michael Jordans and the Kevin Durant's and all these great athletes that you have in your team so they can go wow you. Like you need to uh, uh, put them first so that you can scale. So that they can do what you can do and you can lift your head up and start to think about strategy and where are we going to be in the next three, five, 10 years. And so servant leadership to me uh, means that you are in, you are serving uh, those folks in your team so that they can do their job to the best of their ability. Uh, and that might be resources that might be handing, handling personality conflicts or helping them navigate personality conflicts or helping with process. Um, like from a leadership perspective, 
uh, it's never about you anymore. It's it's about the team, uh, and you gotta you gotta swallow that pride. Yeah, I love so that. Where to find Unite Us? Uh, you can find us almost everywhere. You can go to uniteus.com. Uh, uh, our website, we have a lot of information that's rolling out there. Our marketing team does a fantastic job with, uh, with blogs and thought, uh, thought leader pieces that we put out on that site as well. Every uh, social media platform that's out there, we're always posting and we're always putting things, um, either webinars or uh, podcasts that we uh, have the privilege to be, able to be a part of. Um, we're putting all of our updates out there. So uniteus.com or you can find us on, on any site. Well, Taylor, thanks so much. This has been incredible and I, I'm so excited to watch your journey and thanks for the great work you're doing with Unite Us. And uh, hopefully maybe I'll, maybe I'll catch you at the Army-Navy game or something. Yes, sir. Hey, th thank you so much for having us. I, it, it, we really appreciate it. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Thank you. Thanks, brother. Hey, friends. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. I really enjoyed getting a chance to reconnect with Taylor, learn about his journey. I love his story of seeing a problem, having that mentor and Dr. Joe Ross who gave him not just the freedom, but the encouragement to go and start something, even though that meant for Joe that Taylor was no longer gonna be directly involved in higher echelon. He, he saw that that was Taylor's passion and he encouraged him to go and pursue that, gave him the freedom. Love that little anecdote that was thrown in there. I love what he said about how entrepreneurship is tough and you gotta be willing to invest time and energy and that a lot of folks don't really have that going in but but it's nice for those of us trying to build something whether that's just a small something small or a large company like what taylor has built that it takes time and it takes energy it takes grit takes getting the right people on the bus as jim collins would say from the very beginning making sure as taylor said you you have kind of the yin and the yang the people who really complement your personality well, I loved what he said about those top principles at Unite Us and how they use those as a filter for hiring and making sure they get the right people in the right seats as they try to scale and grow this really rapidly growing company. I also loved what he said at the end about one of the secrets of a great pitch is vulnerability. Probably not what you expected, not what I expected to hear, but again, it just shows that being human is so important in a leader. You don't have to be the smartest person in the room. Certainly there should be boundaries in your vulnerability, but it's it's really good to be willing to acknowledge when you don't know something, ask questions. It just makes us human and it makes us more trustworthy. So Taylor, I really appreciated you coming on the show today. Thank you to all of you that have listened to this. If, you, if you'd like to listen to our live event on Tuesday, September 28th, 7.30 p.m., remember there's links in the show notes to that. I would love to, for you to join and support this first live event with Major and Retired Dana Petard. Also, if you'd like to support us in our growth and our attempts to, to grow and to scale this and to impact more leaders, please go to our Patreon account. That's www.pat reon.com slash Cal Walters. Again, thank you so much for being here today. I sincerely appreciate you listening. I hope you will go today and make a difference in the lives of those around you. Remember that life is short, so let's go make it count.